0: Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. If I lived my life like God said live it, if I've given my heart and life over to Him and I have Him as my Lord and Savior, then I already win. I might have lost a little bit of finite pleasures on this earth, but ultimately I gained. We hope you find this message encouraging. I have been working on Talking about our walk. Uh, one, of the, one of the most prevalent questions, it's asked in different ways about different things, but basically it is how do I. Uh, you can go ahead and go. Petra's, Petra's dismissed. Forgot they were still in here for communion. Um, how do I connect my belief? In other words, I'm a Christian. I've given my heart and my life over to Jesus Christ. But how do I, as a believer, connect that with the real world how do i connect my faith with every day and so that's basically what we're looking at and first first john chapter one verse seven says this all right let's go this route (laughs) first john chapter one verse seven I wasn't prepared for that, so hang on just a second here. Let me get to first John. Yeah, New Testament. The last half of the book, first John, chapter one, verse seven. It says this. Hit my lights just a little bit more. <laughs> Whoever's got the lighting back there, hit my hit my stage center just a little bit more. Not that I have any trouble seeing. Or need to wear my glasses when I'm not. All right. There we go. But if we walk in the light, as he, talking about Jesus, is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of, Christ, of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we are supposed to, in our walk, walk in the light. And so we have talked about that for the last couple of weeks. We talked about that that means that we need to walk in the newness of life, understanding what it means whenever we're saved, whenever we commit our life to the Lord. He has forgiven our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So sometimes we're our our toughest critics. Sometimes we remember everything we've done wrong. And sometimes we're tough on ourselves. And what that does is make us myopic. Anybody know what myopia is? Anybody ever been diagnosed with myopia? It means you're nearsighted. And so whenever we are focused on us, we're all concerned about what we've done to miss it, then we are myopic in our life. In other words, we're nearsighted. We don't have any any ability to see down the line, to, to get involved in missions, to get involved in discipleship, to get involved with all the things that the Lord has called us to do. Why? Because we're all focused on us. We're, we're just concerned about us. We're navel-gazing. Everybody's got a navel. And what we do is we get so myopic that we can't see past that. And we get all involved in us and about our walk with the Lord and about where we're at. We need to have confidence that Jesus Christ has saved us. Oh, well, that was weak. Thank you, Miss Pauline. But everybody else should have joined in there. We need to have the confidence that we have given our heart and life over to the Lord. My sins are forgiven. I'm a child of God. Never to be the same again. My sins are gone. Now I'm empowered. I'm more than a conqueror through Him. There we go. That's the way we need to face this world. And too many times we're so caught up with us that we don't walk out of here with confidence. The thing that the Holy Spirit came to do was give us a boldness to approach life. Peter was all concerned about having missed it with the Lord, having denied Him, felt like He could never be used again. And what happened just a few days later when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was the one that stood up among the others and preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And thousands of people came to know the Lord that day. Why? Because He had the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're timid. Maybe you don't have that boldness. Ask god to fill you with the holy spirit and that boldness that comes through that somebody say amen so we need to walk in the newness of life we need to walk in the truth uh, and uh, the third uh book of john he says i have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth what is truth that was the question that Pilate presented to jesus what is truth it is what god says and we need to walk in that we need to realize that that uh, his word above everything else is true. We need to realize that everything that he has said about us is a fact. And that's what we need to walk in. Number three, we talked about this last week. We need to walk in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says, Paul, Paul says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is a natural thing. How many of, how many of you, just real quick, are human? If you didn't raise your hand, come to me. We'll talk after the service. We'll figure out what you are. But here's the thing. We're all human. And as a part of that, we deal with this thing right here, our body. Okay, we, whenever we come into the relationship with the Lord, we become what is called a trichotomous being. In other words, there are three parts of us. There's body, there's soul, and there's spirit. And all those things are constantly warring against one another. Our soul, which is that part of us that makes us who we are, it's that part of us that lives for eternity. This body is going to go back to the dust from where it came from. Okay? My soul, which you can't see, but it's a whole lot prettier than this outside. Thank you. Thank you. It is a good-looking buff. He's got a six-pack abs that you just wouldn't believe. Buff, head full of hair. But he's hidden underneath this tent, this spacesuit that we live in. See, my soul is who I really am. My body is where it resides until the time that I die or the Lord comes back. But whenever I'm saved, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so what Paul's talking about, if we walk in the Spirit and we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, and I didn't get into all this last week. it kind of ran out of time and the sermon kind of went in a direction that I wasn't planning for it to. But I wanted to say this about this. Walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now the lust of the flesh, uh, John talks about it this way. He said it's uh, the... The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are those sins that entangle us in this world. The lust of the eye is to have. Oh, look at that car. Oh, look at those new golf clubs. Look at that fishing pole. For the women, it might be that pair of shoes or that purse or that dress or that, that arts and crafts stuff. (laughs) Diane laughed real big and looked at my wife. (laughs) I don't know what that's about. (laughs) It's all of us. The lust of the eye is to have, to look out there. And that's why he says in the Ten Commandments, don't covet. How do you covet? You look and you see something out there that somebody else has, and I want that. And how many times has that ever got us into trouble? Overbought bought stuff to impress people we don't even like. And so that that lust of the eye is the I want to I want to have it. The lust of the flesh is I want to do that. We look out there and so many times we compare what we're doing with what somebody else is doing and I want to do that. Sometimes that leads us down a real bad path. And then there's the pride of life and that is the the desire to want to achieve something, to be somebody. We want to be the head of a corporation. We want, to, we want to do this in life. We want to accomplish this. We want at the end of our life the accolades that would fill up two pages in the newspaper. So it's the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All Everything that leads us down a bad path would fall into one of those categories, to have, to do, and to be. And so that's what he's talking about. If we walk after that, then we're walking in the flesh. But he says if we walk in the Spirit, which is all those things that Paul talks about in Galatians, all those fruits of the Spirit that will grow in our life if we cultivate that that life in the Spirit. And so ultimately, back to where we were starting, is you've got the body, you've got the soul, and you've got the Spirit. And that's the soul, which is who we are, so uh, the original word there is the psyche, okay? That's why psychology is the study of the soul. And uh, all through the years, especially if you look back in history, the, the Christian origins of psychology are strong. It was only when this guy who was an absolute nut named Freud kind of came into the picture. and And, I mean, that guy, if you ever read about him, he was wheels off nuts and trying to come up with some reason why he felt the way he felt i think but ultimately what it did was as soon as he came up with his theories about the fixations that caused us to do certain things man the christian world like who hands off we ain't gonna have no more part in that and ultimately i think in this generation psychology the study of the soul has started coming back to the church and we need to realize that's that's part of who it's, it's what makes us who we are So you've got the body that wars against the soul, and then you've got the spirit that tries to lead us in the right direction. So all of us, our soul is kind of caught in a tug of war. I talked about it last week, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. We are caught in the middle between the flesh saying, oh, look at that, let's go do this, let's jump into that, let's be somebody. Doesn't matter who we step on, doesn't matter. uh, You know, one of the things that has stuck with me through the years was a quote This guy, he said, I've spent all my life trying to climb the ladder only to find out when I got to the top I was uh, leaning it against the wrong building. We've got to realize what our priorities are really in life. And so ultimately what happens is we are in that tug of war. Our soul is in that tug of war between the, the body calling us to do these things and the spirit calling us to do those things. So it is a choice that we have. Are we going to walk after the flesh or are we going to walk after the spirit? And Paul says if you will walk after the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because he's going to lead us in the right direction. Guarantee you if you're going with how you feel, boy, that is a big thing these days. Oh, this is how I feel. It's about my heart. My heart is the problem. Your heart is the problem. I've said this for years and, years and years. It's like a bad board meeting in here. I mean, there's, the body's trying to convince me to do these things. Oh, look at that. You need one of those. Let's go do this. And the Spirit's saying, don't, don't go that direction. Don't go there. And you've heard me say this. By the time we ever, as a believer, get to the point of sinning, we have ran a thousand Holy Ghost stop signs. Because he's a gentleman and he's going to allow us the privilege of making our own decisions but he is going to be whispering in your ear the whole time. Don't do that. Don't spend that money you ain't got. You don't need that. Don't go there. Don't do those things. Meanwhile the body's like just let's lay on the couch and eat a whole bag of potato chips and just relax. Okay? Not do anything but Oh, look at that over there. Let's go do that. So we're in this big tug-of-war. And ultimately, it comes down to we've got to make that choice. We've got to make the decision. And Paul says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Somebody say amen. We've got to walk in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, We walk by faith and not by sight. We cannot see the things of God. We cannot even sometimes discern it. We are so limited in our perception of God and the things that he does. Now, if we put on the spectacles of heaven, is what I've always called it, if we put on the glasses of heaven, we begin to see his hand everywhere. But if we're walking in the flesh, we're not going to see anything about God, about what he's doing, anything about faith. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We cannot see it. But yet it is more tangible, it is more real than anything that we can see, feel, taste, touch. We tend to look at this world around us and say, this is real. That's real. Why? Because I can touch it. But you know what? It wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for the spiritual realm. If it hadn't been for faith. If it hadn't been for God saying, let there be... And all of a sudden it was, it wouldn't exist. So sometimes we get all spooky thinking about God's, you know, God's out there somewhere and all this stuff about faith and stuff. One of the things that people say these days, and I don't, you may have encountered it, if you haven't, you probably will. I talk to a lot of people about faith, talk to a lot of people about knowing the Lord. And one of the things that this day and time, we live in a, what's called a postmodern society. Anybody know what postmodernism is? Or can you give me a definition of postmodernity? Okay? It's important we know it. Why? Because it describes our world. Used to, somebody would take your word just because you were in a position of authority. Used to, years ago, people would take your word as a preacher just because you were a preacher. Now, not so much. Now, fact is, if you uh, in a recent survey, it was said, "Where do you place your trust as far as clergy goes?" And it was almost down to the level of a prostitute. Kind of describes our society these days. And post-modernity says there is no absolute. There is no rock solid. There is absolutely nothing that is absolute truth, that it's all subjective, subjective to the situation, subjective to the person that's involved or the people involved. And so what that has done is it's it's basically, I mean, it smells like smoke because it's from the pits of hell. There is a truth that is rock solid. There is a truth that transcends time and space, and that's about God. But in this day and time, there are people, and one of the things that I've run into recently is, I talked to somebody about the Lord, and they said, well, I don't believe in God. Oh, really? Well, what do you believe in? I just believe in nothing. Just believe in nothing. Well, you are an atheist? No, not really. Because really and truly, if you, if you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, atheism is a religion what they believe they have a certain tenet of faith in order to c- declare themselves to be an atheist so it's a religion but what i've run into recently is people that just say, i don't just don't believe in anything i i you know i don't i just don't believe there's a god and i said well and sometimes they'll even say can you prove there's a god what well, can you prove there's not i can prove there's a god Because ultimately, it comes down to this. We're in a, this thing is called a what? A building. Okay. Did it just appear here? Or was there a creator, a builder? Well, did you see it built? Well, then how can you know? I mean, it may have just appeared here. But we, because of common logic or have the ability to assess, this is a building, somebody built it. So that means there was a creator or a builder, even though we didn't see it built, none of us was here when it was put together. But we know there was a creator. In essence, too, you can walk outside and you can see trees and grass and sky and a sun and a moon, and you can say, did all this just happen? I think not. If there was a small amount of difference in the gravity on earth, if there was just a small amount of difference in the gravity of earth, nothing that we know could exist like it exists. The molecules would stick together in a different way if it was heavier or not stick together at all if it was a little bit lighter and we wouldn't have oxygen there wouldn't be nitrogen, there wouldn't be all those things in our atmosphere that gives us the ability to live. There wouldn't be trees, there wouldn't be grass, there wouldn't be the sky that we see. There wouldn't be anything. And so ultimately, the same as you can look at this building and say, because this is a building of design, then there had to be a creator. Even though I wasn't there to see it, you can walk outside and see the same thing. Because there is a design there, there had to be a creator. That means there is a God. And so what it amounts to, I came across this just recently. You, you all that know me know I read almost incessantly. And I have a virtual gold mine of useless information. But there are some little golden nuggets that come along from time to time. And there was a guy who lived in the early 1600s. His name was Blaise Pascal. And he was probably one of the earliest... Uh, apologist as far as uh, having an argument for the faith that we have. And his assertion, his thesis was this, that we all as human beings wager our lives, we bet our lives on the fact of whether God exists or not. Okay, this is about faith. Do we believe that God exists or not? And so I've even used that same argument with people, and they'd have the argument, well, I'm not a betting person. Well, by the fact that you are living, that you are alive, that you are a human being, you're already in the game. You're betting. One way or the other. And so Blaise Pascal, and you can look all this up, he has a, his, his little thesis is a lot longer than I'm going to share with you, but I'll spare you all the boring details. But he likens it to a coin toss about whether God exists or not. And so I decided we just did I'm gonna get out some big money. It is big money. <laughs> and so what I've got here is a coin, heads and tails. Everybody see it? Heads, tails. And so we'll we'll say that the head side of the coin is God exists. And I'm going to live my life accordingly. I'm going to do best I can to do what he says. I'm going to live my life like there is a God. The other side of the coin is, in order to do that, I've got to give up some things. I've got to give up the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay? In the scheme of things, this is infinite. Because if God is real, and he does exist, it says that if we're going to come to God, we must believe that, first of all, He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So on this side is infinite riches, eternal life, a home in heaven. Everything that He says will be there. I mean, you've got to figure how the economy in heaven is going to go. It's pretty good if they use gold for pavement. Got to be some pretty good stuff up there. So this is infinite gain. And this is finite loss. Okay, I've got to give up a few things. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. So if I flip this coin, I'm good, ain't I? <laughs> Tell me what I did. Either way, I win. Either way, I win. Because I gave up my finite losses for infinite gain. If I lived my life like God said live it, if I've given my heart and life over to Him and I have Him as my Lord and Savior, then I already win. I might have lost a little bit of finite pleasures on this earth, but ultimately I gained. Okay? If I live my life the other way, And I say, there is no God, and I'm going to live for each day like it is. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, if I want to do it. What happened? I lost. Either way. Do you get what I'm saying? If we live like there's a God... What little bit we might have forfeited should there not be a God, but I know there is. I have gained everything. And I have bet that there's not a God. And I live like the devil. I have lost everything. So ultimately, what would you pick? If you have a win-win or a lose-lose, which one would you pick? Gosh, really? (laughs) You'd pick the win-win? That's what Pascal's argument was. We're already in the game. We can't say, I'm not going to make a decision. If you're here on earth, if you're alive, if you're breathing, you have to make a decision. You're either going to live your life like God was existed and what he said is true, or you're not. And if you have chosen to live like he is real, you've already won. Amen? So the thing that we've got to do is realize that if we're going to come to God, we've got to believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what we've got to do is start acting like it. This is all about tying together our belief and our faith and our, and our walk together to make a difference in this world. I believe in God. Therefore, I'm going to walk like he exists. I'm going to talk like he exists. I'm going to know him because he is real. And like I said, you can already look at the design of this earth and know that he is real. And so the thing that we've got to do is hand-in-hand with number two, which is walk in truth we got to walk in truth and we got to walk in faith and allow God to do stuff through us. Why? Because that's what he wants to do. He is a God that has chosen to be a part of every day of our lives. He could have in his infinite power, in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite ability to be everywhere and do everything, he could have put this thing in motion. I don't know how I hit that little high note whenever I said put, but I did not going to repeat it but he could have put this thing in motion he could have said let there be and it was he could have said let there be light and it was he could have said let there be a an earth and it could have been and he could have set that thing in motion and walked away i'll come back in a million eons and see what happened that's how big he is he could have went over to the other side of the the universe as we know it and done something else But he chose to stay here, to be a part of every day. I don't know if that blows your mind like it blows my mind. But a God that could create all this and says, I want to stick around. And I want to help it. And I want to help you. And I want to be a part of every day. Folks, that's what faith is all about. And we got to walk in faith. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, For without faith it is impossible to please him, that we must believe that he is, and believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Somebody say amen. Number five. We've got to walk in wisdom. Colossians chapter 4 says, Walk in wisdom, knowing how to redeem the time. In other words, keep an eye on what's going on around us. While we do not know the exact day and time that Jesus Christ is coming back, he told us that we could see the signs. He says, whenever you see a fig tree blooming, you know that summer's close. In other words, we can also look at the things that he told us in this Bible and compare it to what's happening around us, the headlines of our newspapers. And I'll tell you something, if you pay attention to both of those, you're going to see that the time's drawing pretty nigh. It's not long in happening. We've got a lot of stuff to do in the meantime. There's lots of people that you and I know that need to know the Lord before he comes back. Amen? So, we've got to walk in wisdom, knowing what the time is. And Psalm 104 says this, there's creative power in wisdom. In other words, whenever we acquire wisdom, and the book of Proverbs is full of this, seek wisdom. One of the most important things that you can get. Not knowledge. Knowledge is knowing what to. Knowledge is knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing how to do it. And when to do it. And so ultimately, he says, seek after wisdom. Go after that, and that's what's going to happen. And and James tells us this in in his book. He said, in his letter, he said, uh, if you lack wisdom... If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So, if you lack knowledge, read a book. Go to school. If you lack wisdom, pray. Because we all need wisdom to know how to do and when to do. And so, ultimately, it comes down to this. Uh, If you look at um, all the way through the Bible... There's illustration after illustration after illustration of how God works in wisdom. And it may not be there. There may be a time whenever you come across something and you say, I've never seen anything like this before. I need wisdom. Stop what you're doing and go and pray. In the book of Daniel, you had Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of everything basically at that time. And he had a dream. And he said, I I, I need some interpretation here. I need to know what this dream meant. And he called for all of his wise men. And he said, what does this dream mean? And they told him this thing and that thing, but he knew that wasn't what it was. So what did he do? He had them all killed. And then he calls for Daniel. And he says, come in here and tell me what this dream means. I don't know. Was his answer but give me time to pray. And Daniel went and prayed, and what happened? God gave him wisdom (laughs) and spared his life in the process of doing it. So sometimes in life, sometimes we think we've arrived. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm here. I've read the Bible through. I know what it means. But there's going to be times when you run up on something and you say, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do in this situation. The thing to do is to pray and say, God, I need wisdom. If I need knowledge, tell me where to seek that. But right now, I feel like I need wisdom, so I need to pray. If any man lacks wisdom, let him pray to God, who gives to all men, open-handedly. Open-handedly is what, what the literal translation of that verse says. It says, uh, if you read a King James Version, it says, If any man lack like God, let him ask of God who uh, 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 abradeth not. And if you look that up, it means open-handedly. He's going to give it. No tricks, no no strings attached. If we ask for wisdom, guess what? He's already made the promise he's going to give. It I was a little kid. This is back in the day when penny candy was the thing. How many of you remember penny and five-cent candy? Oh, Lord. <laughs> We're getting old, aren't we? <laughs> there was a little kid. He walked into the store, and uh, this guy had this big barrel there. And it had, you know, a little sign stuck up in there, all the candy that was in it. One-cent candy. And the little boy, this was back in the day when getting a getting a treat like a piece of candy was something. These days, the kids will say, what else? <laughs> but that was back in the day, and he's just standing there just mesmerized by this huge barrel of candy. And he's just looking at it, looking at it, and the grocer sees it. The mom's checking out, and he says, "Son, reach in there and get you a handful of candy." He looks at the mom, looks at the kid again. And he says, "Son, reach in there and get you a handful of that candy." And finally, by then, he's got the mom checked out and all of her groceries back, and he reaches over in there. And grabs a handful and shoves it at the kid. And the kid takes his shirt, tail, and he holds that candy. And he, I mean, he's just, it's just running over. So they're walking home and the mom looks at, looks at her son. And she says, son, what is the matter with you? She said, you embarrassed me in there. She said, that man told you to take that handful of candy and you just stood there with your mouth open. And she said, why did you do that? And he said, because his hand's bigger than mine. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you something, you cannot out-ask God. I think, you can, I think you can actually take that and put a blank in there. If any man lacks, let him ask God, and he will give it to him open-handedly. I think it's wisdom. I think it is, in some cases, knowledge. I think it's healing. I think it's salvation. I think it's deliverance. I think it's everything good that God has for us. If you lack, then let's ask God who gives to us open-handedly.